We started the series, The Head and the Heart, last week, and the main takeaway was that we are to love God with all of our thinking, all of our feeling, all that we have, all that we are, uh, rather than separating and isolating the head from the heart like we so often do um, in many different ways. We separate the intellect from the emotion. We typically uh, focus on one, sometimes to the exclusion or the neglect of the other. And uh, many times we can even see that on display in our churches as well, not just individually. But it's supposed to be the head and the heart fully given to God with the fullest measure of our love and devotion to him and in our worship of him. That's how it's supposed to be. That's what God intends for us. That's what he desires from us. But there are still a lot of really good things that are specific to the head and specific to the heart. Things that we can bring to the table, things about the head that are specifically beneficial to our worship of God and to our Christian life, to our faith. And the same is true of the heart specifically. And so what we want to do today is to focus in, zero in on the important role that the head or the mind plays in our faith and in our relationship with God. Next week we'll plan to do the same with the heart and then we'll just kind of wrap it all up and talk about some very practical applications of what it looks like to have a life that is complete with the head and the heart working together in fullness in love of God and worship of him and and service of him. But today we're going to focus in on the head and, and its importance for the Christian. And I want to draw your attention to Mark 12:30, Mark chapter 12 verse 30. And a little bit of background to this verse Uh, Jesus has just gotten done having a debate with the Sadducees, and as always, they tried to trip him up and trick him, and as always, he didn't fall for it, and he defeated them. It's always what happened, and apparently there is a Pharisee off to the side kind of just taking this all in, and he's a scribe, and he decides he's going to ask Jesus a question too, and he says, teacher, tell us in your opinion, what is the greatest command out of all the commands in the law of God? Jesus doesn't have to think very hard or very long, and he actually refers to Deuteronomy 6.5, which we looked at last week. And here's what his reply was, Mark 12.30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And if you remember from Deuteronomy 6.5, you'll probably note that it did not specifically say with all your mind like Jesus says here. And a good question would be, well, what's the point then? Why is this part added where it wasn't originally in Deuteronomy 6.5? And the reason is really simply that in the Hebrew, we talked about this last week, that there's not a separate word in the Hebrew for mind. That's really included in the heart. So in Deuteronomy 6.5, when it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, It actually covers all that we know as the mind. It covers the intellect. It covers the will. It covers reason. That's built into that. But in the Greek language, there is a separate word. There's differences there, much like our language, because our language is borrowed largely from the Greek. And our understanding and the way we look at things, our perspective, largely comes from that culture. So Jesus wanted to make sure that the full meaning, the full weight of the command of Deuteronomy 6.5 was carried over 
into the Greek culture that he found himself with. And even though he was talking to Jewish people, he made sure to refer to the mind specifically. Why? Because the mind matters. The mind matters. And it matters a great deal. I want to actually look at some very specific reasons the mind is so important for the Christian and why the mind matters so much for us practically. Um, the first area that is so important to understand that the mind has a role in is really the area of our salvation. It's with our minds that we recognize and admit our need for Jesus. It's with our intellect that God reveals to us our need for a Savior. It's, it's with our intellect that we start to understand as we hear the gospel, I am in trouble. I have a huge need in my life that I can't meet and no one else can. It's in our mind that the awareness of our sinful condition comes from. And it's in our mind that we begin to believe in the Savior that is presented to us through the Word of God and from the gospel as it is presented. You know, in our culture, we have a lot of emphasis on the heart. We talk about the heart all the time. We hear all about it. And we say things like, he stole my heart, or she stole my heart. Or if things don't work out, he broke my heart, she broke my heart. We talk about how our heart just wasn't in it. And incredibly popular and incredibly foolish is the notion to just listen to slash follow your heart. No, no, no. Don't listen to your heart. Don't follow your heart. I mean, the Bible makes it pretty clear and it's just good sense because you see it lived out in your life and other people's life all day long that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So much so that it says no one can measure the depth of its wickedness. Don't listen to your heart. Don't follow your heart. But we still talk about the heart so much. It's like way up here uh, in our importance, in our culture, in our society. So much so that we even rely on the heart when it comes to talking about salvation. I mean, how many of you, when you were younger, most likely, uh, had someone that was presenting the gospel to you and they used the phrase... You just need to ask Jesus into your heart. How many had that said to to them? Man, yeah, all over the place. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand the reasoning behind that. It's, It's the parent's way or the Sunday school teacher's way of breaking it down most of the time for children to understand that it's giving Jesus your life. And, And I get that. I'm not trying to be too picky. But what I am saying, I think often that uh, there are many, many Christians who need to think about giving Jesus their head along with the heart that they gave him. You know what I mean? Like maybe we should be focusing a little bit more on asking Jesus into our head, uh, not just the heart. I think maybe we'd all be better off in many different ways. Um, The heart is important, sure, it is. But we need to understand that the mind and the intellect is very, very important when it comes to embracing the truth of the gospel. Here's what Romans 10, 9 through 10 tell us about that. If you confess with your mouth, 
And when we confess something, anything with our mouth, it means we've thought about something first. Because our words always express our thoughts, whether good or bad. That's what words do. They make it known what's inside your head. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, that's your statement, which means your head has accepted it, your mind has come to the place of believing that to be so. So you confess it with your mouth. If you do that and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, in other words, that he is who he says he is, the very Son of God, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. What this means for all of us and for anyone is that if our commitment to Jesus is only an emotional one, if that's the farthest we go with giving ourselves to Jesus, if that's the the limit of the connection to him, it won't be able to hold us up when life comes at us hard. And life comes at us hard. We all understand that. We've all experienced it. Maybe you're experiencing that right now. I mean, life is just bulldozing you. And my friend, if your commitment to Jesus is only at the emotional level, then that's just not going to hold you up. That's not going to get you through. That's not going to be the anchor that you need when the storms of life rage and the seas of life are choppy, and that happens all through your life. So your commitment to Jesus needs to be based on something more than just your heart, more than just emotion. That's not to say that an emotional response to the gospel is a bad thing. Not at all. When we understand what it really means that Jesus died to save us, and we understand what all was involved with that, it should absolutely affect us emotionally. I mean, it should result in passionate responses to the salvation that we have. That should absolutely take place. And two very fitting ways to express that is in the way we pray and the way we praise. And the way we praise, that involves uh, singing like we've done today, or it can be just simply talking to people about God, giving testimony to what he's done. And a way of expressing that emotion, that, that passionate response to the gospel that we've believed in, that, those are two very good practical ways of expressing that, in our prayer to God and in our worship of him, our testimony about him. There is someone in our church, he's here today, that I think is a constant, strong example of that being true. Uh, he, he just shows this so well, and I beg his pardon and ask his forgiveness for embarrassing him because I know I'm going to because this is not what he wants done at all, but I just can't help it because he's just such a good example of this. Cormie Hildebrand, when he prays, he brings you into worship of God when he prays. If you've been around him long at all and you've heard him pray, it's not for show. It's not because he wants to be known as this prolific prayer. It's just because he can't help himself. He is so full of passion and joy and in overwhelming 
realization of the grace of God that is his, that he just pours forth passion and praise in his prayer and it invites others in to do the same thing. And the same is true of Cormie when he sings. Now, I don't know, Debbie, does Cormie have a good singing voice? Uh, You have to say that, you're his wife. Cormie, do you have a good singing voice? Yeah, see, I I, I know he was going to say that. But you know what Cormie does with his voice that maybe isn't aesthetically that wonderful? Uh, I didn't say that, you said it. He lifts it with all of his passion and all of his being in praise to God. I mean, if you sit anywhere around Cormie Hildebrand, his worship and his expression of worship becomes very contagious. And, and you just can't help but join in. Thank you, Cormie, for being that kind of person. I, I appreciate and respect that so much, and I know everyone else does as well. We can all be that way, and we should all be that way. I mean, church, our worship should easily... Um, be powerful and passionate. And I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you how to worship in a certain style or certain way. I'm, that's not what I'm doing. However you worship, make sure you give God your all, your whole passion in that worship expression. And when you pray, give, give your prayers the, the freedom and the ability to express passionate praise to the God who is worthy of that. And let the realization of the gospel that you have been privileged to hear and believe and receive, let that drive your praise. Let that drive your testimonies about God. Let that drive your prayer. True faith in Christ is a faith of the head and the heart. But the head is where it begins. The head is where the faith must begin for it to truly be what it should be. And also of great importance for us to understand and to apply in our Christian life is realizing that once we commit our lives to the Lord Jesus, it is with our minds that we learn more about him and develop in our relationship with him through the objective reading and studying of his word. That's how that happens. And as we allow the Holy Spirit to apply what we are discovering and learning in the word, it can't be just a mental exercise. It has to be applied. What we study, what we discover, what we're learning needs to be applied into our lives and it needs to come out through our lives. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And as we allow him to do that, we become more like Christ which is sanctification, the process of becoming more like Jesus and less like ourselves. And the natural result of that is that we become more aware of things that are opposite of him and things that are opposed to him. That's discernment. So as we are in the Word, we're reading it, we're studying it, we're learning more about who Jesus is, what He's like, we see His character on display, we learn how that character should be part of ours, and we ask the Holy Spirit to take that and apply it to our lives and to carry it out through our lives, then the natural results of that exercise is going to be our sanctification and greater discernment. And that all takes place, though, starting, anyway, in the mind, and then it goes down to the heart, and then it comes out through us into action and into our lifestyle. Here's what Philippians 1, 9 through 10 
tells us along those lines. Paul says this, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge, the head, and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless, there's our sanctification, for the day of Christ. See, that takes place in the mind. That is what God wants to do with our minds. He wants us to grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus, but not just so we can be inflated on our knowledge, not just so we can be puffed up with all we know. It's not just so we can say, look how, look how theologically wise I am. Look at how scholarly I am. It's not just for those reasons. It's to translate into our sanctification, and it's to equip us with better discernment in all things of life, which we need desperately. Another result of loving God with all our mind, not just some of it, and with allowing him to strengthen and shape our minds, is that he will guard our mind when other people or circumstances challenge our faith, which happens all the time. There are always going to be people that come along your path, people you hear on TV, things you read in a book, uh, something that someone says to you over coffee, or circumstances and situations that you find yourself faced with, the hard things of life that will cause you at some point in some way, even small, to question, doubt, or to be challenged by your faith and by your beliefs. And if you are not rooted and anchored in the objective word of God, you're going to be in trouble. If your mind is not fixed on the timeless truth of God's word, if it's not anchored to that, then everything else is going to be sinking sand. Here's what 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 says. For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive. Why? To obey Christ. This is all encompassing. This kind of exercise that Paul is talking about, this is for our own sake and our own benefit, to guard our own minds and our own hearts against fallacy, against the things that come at us that challenge and assault our faith. It's also, though, so that we can be equipped to protect and guard others as well, so that we can come alongside other people and instruct and guide and encourage people in their faith as they are facing assault of the same kind. So it's two-way, and it covers everything. When Paul fought, which he did often, Paul was a fighter, he was a soldier. When Paul fought, his weapons were not physical because he recognized that the most important ongoing battle is spiritual, not fleshly. Think of Ephesians 6, 
where Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against every power of spiritual wickedness in high places. He understood that. He knew that. He believed it. And so the strongholds mentioned here in this context are wrong thoughts, wrong perspectives, false doctrine, and false teaching, all of which contradict the truth of God in some form, in some fashion. All those things will always come against, be in opposition to, and be in contradiction of the truth of God. And church, listen to me, church, those problems, those battles that Paul references, that he dealt with, that he experienced, that he fought against, those things didn't die out with the original church. They have been a reality in every age, and they are very much alive and well today. Liberalism and humanism is just as prevalent as it ever was historically. False religions like Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness continue to grow and they continue to have mainstream acceptance. Deceptive, destructive philosophies continue to snake their way into the church of Jesus. And in all of it, the serpent is still asking the same question. Did God really say? Ask the same question. He's nothing if not consistent, even though he's not very original. And you know why he doesn't have to change his tactics and change his question? Because we're still buying it. We're still choosing to fall prey to his traps, to his enticements. And we still, so often, unfortunately, answer that question with, uh, I don't know. Kind of like Adam and Eve. My brothers and sisters, we have to remember that Satan is a master of illusion. One that, as God's word says, disguises himself as an angel of light all the while being the ravenous lion that is seeking someone to devour. And we don't take that as seriously as we should. We don't really believe that. Not really. Because if we did, we would be sure to be sharper in our minds with what God has to say about every subject. We would know it. We would love it. We would desire it more. We would hunger it more. We would be saturated by it more than we are, myself included. But what happens much of the time is we we take that verse and we say, oh yeah, that's true, amen, we agree. But then in real life, the way we respond to this lion that's walking around seeking whom he may devour, we actually treat him more like a kitty cat. Like a stray cat that's just an annoyance, a frustration, not a dangerous predator ready to pounce on us and devour us. That's what he is. That's what he is. And the first place that he will attack you, believer, is in the mind. That's the first place. That's his frontal assault. So if our minds are not 
anchored to the truth and power of God's word, we've already lost the fight. Because it doesn't take very long for what is in the head to make its way down to the heart. It doesn't take long at all. And then as we know from what Jesus said, from the heart drives everything that we are and everything we do. It affects the hands and it affects the feet. It affects all of life. So it's very important to get the order right and it's very important to make sure we are anchored correctly. Not only is Satan one who disguises himself as an angel of light while still being that ravenous lion, but his people can be wolves disguised in sheep's clothing. And just for clarification, who are his people? Who are the enemy's people? Who would be classified as Satan's people? It's not just the extreme examples that you see in movies and things. You know, it's not just those that are part of the occult. No, anyone who is not in Christ is aligned with the enemy. It's black and white. There's, there's no middle ground. There's no sitting on the fence. And that sounds harsh, I know, but it's the truth. If you're not part of God's kingdom, you're part of Satan's kingdom. If you're not part of the kingdom of heaven, you're part of the kingdom of the world. And Satan is the god of this world, little g. He's the prince of it, the ruler of it. He's the one who sets its patterns. He's the one who sets its systems. He's the one who governs it. He's the one who fuels and energizes it. So if you're not aligned with God and his agenda and his kingdom, then you are by default aligned with Satan's. And his people can very easily do that. They can disguise themselves as wolves in sheep's clothing, which means they come in where the sheep are. Where are the sheep? What are the sheep? It's the church of Jesus. We're sheep. That may offend you. Get over it. Because that's what we are. Most of the time we stink like sheep. We're not exactly the most intelligent creation, like sheep. You know, we kind of just do our own thing, and even though we know how this is going to end, we do it anyway. That's what we are. That's what we do. But you know, the amazing thing in all that is no matter how stinky sheep are, and no matter how dumb they are, the shepherd over the sheep still loves them dearly. And he would give anything to protect them. That's what a good shepherd does. The same is true of our shepherd church. The great shepherd Jesus, though we are ugly and smelly and dumb, he loves us to the point of giving his life for us. So we are the sheep of his pasture, the word says. And that's where the wolves are always trying to get into. They're trying to get into the sheepfold and to try to steal the sheep away. And the really smart wolf figures out, I'm, I'm going to have to look like a sheep and sound like a sheep and smell a little bit like a sheep for me to get into where the sheep are. And that's what happens. You don't have to look very far to see example of this, that in today's church, in the church of Jesus, and it's not limited to today, this has happened in every age from the beginning of the church up till now, that Satan has his agents, if you will, right there in the middle of us sheep. And they're trying to snatch us away, one by one by one. And it happens in droves. It happens by the hundreds. It happens by the thousands. Every single Sunday morning, right now, that's happening. 
And the way to guard against it, the way to prevent it, the way to protect yourself and others is by knowing what the Word of God actually says objectively. All of it. Not bits and pieces, but the whole counsel. And allowing the Holy Spirit to teach that to you, to interpret it to you. Think about this for a second. We're not just out there on our own with this supernatural, amazing, miraculous book called the Word of God, trying just to figure it out on our own, and we're, we're on our own, and if we can get it, great. If not, oh well, that's not the case. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the author of the book dwelling in you as your personal tutor. You have the Holy Spirit. The Bible clearly says that the Holy Spirit's, one of his many, many tasks, but one of his most important jobs is to illuminate the Word to us. He is the one that will explain the deep things of God that are in His Word that are admittedly too great for our minds to understand on our own. He empowers our mind. He explains what we're reading to us and helps us to apply it. We need to depend on that incredible gift. And all of this is why it's so important to use our heads and to saturate them with truth. Because you spot a counterfeit by studying the real thing. That's how you do that. You spot a a counterfeit anything by knowing the real thing really, really well. And that's the same that it is when it comes to our studying of God's Word. That's the same principle to apply to discerning what is true and what is not. Study and know the real thing. And then you will be able to, and especially with the Spirit's power, you'll be able to spot the fake really well, really quickly. And having said all that, we need to also understand that it's not just the battle on the outside that we have to deal with. It's not just the battle on the outside that we are faced with. We all have battles of the mind inside the mind that rage every day. And what I'm talking about are, are battles like lust and addiction, anger and bitterness, selfishness and pride. Those are all very real battles of the mind inside the mind that we all face, that we all deal with in a variety of ways. Your battle might not be mine, but that doesn't mean it's any less real of a battle. And we all have these every day of our lives. Until God calls us home, we will be fighting this kind of battle. And when we get one victory over one of those, then there'll be another to take its place that was there all along. I mean, it's perpetual. We need to understand that and take that seriously. But we also need to remember that the key to consistently fighting all of those battles is active obedience to Romans 12.2. Here's what Romans 12.2 says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed... By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, which we all want to know if we're believers. I mean, that's going to be a desire in our heart, to know the will of God. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good 
and acceptable and perfect in great contrast to those battles that I just mentioned. And my friends, that has to be a continual, personal exercise. Day in, day out. Nobody can do that for you. Nobody can do that for me. And it's not a one and done kind of thing. Romans 12, 2 and that command to renew our mind, to be transformed, to, to not be conformed to the world, that's a constant, constant process and a constant decision to actively obey that. Church, our mind matters to God. And it needs to matter to us because he commands us to love him with all of it, not just part of it, not just when it's easy or convenient. He commands us to love him with all of our mind all the time. May this be true of you and me. May this be true of us together. Amen? All right, let's pray. And right before I pray for all of us, I would be not really doing my full duty as a pastor and teacher of this incredible gift we know as God's Word if I didn't address the fact that none of this that I'm talking about is going to be possible for you or a reality for you if you are not already in Christ. If he is not your Savior and Lord right now, then all this talk about loving God with all of your mind and giving him your mind and honoring him in your mind, you can't do that apart from the power of the Spirit of God. And you don't have the power of the Spirit of God apart from giving your life to Christ. If he is not your Savior and your Lord, you don't have the power of his Spirit. So, with that being said, I want to give you the opportunity to know that today. I want to give you the opportunity to experience that power. The power of God to enable you to love God with all your mind. Now, that's not going to be something that happens perfectly. Because there's none of us, no matter how long we've known the Lord Jesus personally as our Savior, none of us can do this perfectly. We're going to mess up. We're going to fall. We're going to revert back to our fleshly condition. It's going to happen. But the other thing that giving yourself to Jesus does is it gives you constant grace for when you fail. It gives you the ability to be forgiven again and again and again, which we all have need of. So if you've not stepped into that life, real, abundant life, if you don't know Jesus personally, Please make today the day that that happens. Be able to come out of these doors saying, today is the day of my salvation. And I want to know if there's anybody that would like for me to pray for them in that way. Is there anybody who would say, yes, that's me, you describe me. I want to know this Jesus. I want to know the power of his spirit. I want to know his word to be true in my life. I want to know what it's like to have my mind guarded against other things. I want to know Jesus. Pastor, would you pray for me in that way? Is there anybody who would say that's me? Just let me know by just slipping up your hand. That's all I'm asking so I can pray for you. Anybody at all.
anyone at all. Okay, I'm going to pray for all of us, and then we'll be done for today. Father, I thank you so much for your word, for the power of it, for the relevance of it, for the timeless truth that we find in it. We see all that we need to see, and we we can discover all that you have for us to, to discover about yourself. It also reveals who and what we are and our constant need of you, of your grace, all of which is found in Jesus. In your word, we're reminded of the power of the Spirit that we need and have in Jesus. In your word, we're reminded of the fact that there are assaults constantly coming our way. But in your word, we have every defense that is needed. Father, help us to be people, followers of Jesus, your children, that use the minds you've given us to know you better, to know your truth more, and to make you and your truth known constantly to everyone we come in contact with. Help us to use the power of your word and the renewal of our minds that takes place when we do study your word, when we do allow your word to saturate our minds. Help us to experience that renewal and that transformation that you've commanded us to have. Thank you, God, for the gift of your spirit and the gift of your word to shape, to mold, to strengthen our minds so that we can truly love and know and worship and serve you to the fullest with all of our head. May that be true of all of us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.